0: Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Today's episode is a fantastic conversation between Jared, Maruyama, and myself. And it, it's such a great conversation because there are so many people that love the creative arts that also happen to love Disney, and Disneyland more specifically to me. Because we see this as a device or a tool that if I could just work for this company that embraces all levels of creativity, a company that for decades now have literally made the impossible possible and dreams come true. If I could work for a corporation like this, not only will I feel sort of uh, validated that I reached to the pinnacle of success for what it means to be a working creative, but also to be a part of that legacy. To be a part of that story that's now almost ten decades long. Disney soon having their one hundredth year anniversary. So, today's episode, I am so proud to have Jared sitting next to me because he has created a home line for Disney. And this home line will be available in the parks worldwide on their online distribution, uh, also worldwide. But aside from just the sheer volume of the pieces, it's seeing his name next to Disney and being at Downtown Disney on Tuesday and knowing that this was coming and seeing that Jared had every single banner that hangs in the front of Wonderground. You know, Wonderground has those beautiful windows that go from where the second floor would begin, probably up to like a third or fourth floor. And they have these beautiful banners, long, narrow banners that hang down as tapestries that tell the story of Wonderground. And normally each banner represents a different artist. And last month for the last couple of months, each banner represented something different from Star Wars. So to see Star Wars, this global brand that Jared and I both love, was so pumped to get to ride Rise of the Resistance for him the second time we tried, but his first ride, but to see Star Wars come down and to see one of your best friends take its place and to know these banners as each banner normally represents a different artist, but to see all these banners just be your bud. And then to see Jared's name in the email subject line from Shop Disney and to see all these graphics where it's not just, Hey, here's something new that we made. Here's something new that we made by an artist that we want you to care about. Because understanding that if you care about the artist, if Disney can cultivate a next batch, a next generation of stars, then they also are hedging their bets on their collectability market. Uh, Art is how you view it. It's how you see it. It's how it makes you feel. But it's also how you understand it and how you understand the players that are involved that make said artwork. So, knowing the art game better than most and having been in it my entire adult life, knowing how the moves are made, how the business is sculpted, how brands are designed, and how collectability is birthed, I cannot even express to you that this is so much of a bigger move than what you're probably observing from a uh, less educated eye. You know, not putting you down, friends, but I'm getting on the back nine of life. And I've spent a lot of time in this world, a lot of time in the, the world of art and collectibility. And the reason why it's Disneyland for designers is because I'm a designer's designer. And I see the park from its details. I'm not just a super fan. I once worked with the Wonderground Gallery. Jared and I have met at an art opening going years back when we were both displaying pieces. You know, I am a trained professional in this world. And so I always like to let you see the park from my perspective and probably a perspective that you share as a fellow creative. But I really want to break down for you, as somebody who has now interviewed hundreds of the top creative professionals of my generation, this. This is a big move. And I want to just pivot for one second before I bring Jared on. Jealousy is a natural human emotion. And there are things that I'm jealous about. No doubt about it. I absolutely despise how few views my videos get compared to channels that I think don't have the same amount of Storytelling talent, same amount of editing ability. Like it drives me insane how underappreciated I feel like I am mathematically. I have so many awesome people in my community. I feel appreciated and validated from those that are around me. But mathematically, I feel so underappreciated. So yes, I am not immune to career jealousy. And in many ways, career jealousy has inspired me. But I want to talk about jealousy with your friends because i do not feel it i don't allow myself to entertain it jealousy from my friends so you have jared a guy that i just love and adore hitting an absolute like career milestone and i know more than than the hand that he's playing publicly the kid has good things on his way and i'm being nice by saying the kid because like me he's as old as dirt but i don't feel envious And I don't feel jealous and I want to entertain you to look at life the same way, especially if you're creative, because there is no seniority in the world of creativity. At any moment, any young gun that gets a hot, heavy hand can go right past you. So the world of social media or art or design or content creation, like you are only as good as your last project. You're only as good as the stats next to your name. That's it. It doesn't matter who comes from where. You're not going to get a pass because you were there longer. So you're going to see some of your friends at some point blow past you. And that can make you mad. It can make you angry. And it can ruin all the fun that you were having because now you're consumed with your anger, with your rage. But if you start to look at life like I have as a professional interviewer, and somebody who thinks of themselves as a conduit to great people, great minds, and a way that I allow them to better tell their story, not only to my audience, but to their own. There is no reason to be jealous when your friends outpace you, outperform you, go further than you ever did. Because if that person is a true friend, they take you with them and you get to experience all these things that you may never get to do. But if you put in the hard work and you're a good friend and you have an ear that listens and you're not always a mouth that talks, if you help people, if, if you are there when you need them, then your friends will elevate you. Your friends will take you on their life's journey. And the sad thing about life is it's way too short and we only get one shot at it. So my advice to you is somebody who maybe a little bit further down the road than you professionally and uh, on days on earth is be a good friend, be a great friend, be the best friend you can be to all your friends and you will get more than one chance at life because you'll get to observe. You'll get to experience. You'll get to feel what their successes, what their moments are like. And in a small way, those memories, those feelings, they become your own. Now you, don't get me wrong, you don't ever take credit for what somebody else does. But riding shotgun in a car, as a metaphor, you may not be the driver, but you get to the same destination as the driver. And in many ways, riding shotgun in the front seat, you have a better view, because all All you're there to do is to look and observe and to live that moment, to feel that moment. But the driver, they have a whole other level of stress. They're working the pedals, they're working the wheel. That we all do subconsciously, but they're also working their way through the traffic. And that's the hard part. So by being in the shotgun seat, by riding next to your friends, you get all the views, all the experiences with a whole lot less of the stress. Don't let professional jealousy push you away and rob you of living your life a hundred different times through a hundred different people. That's one of the reasons why I tried so hard to communicate with my audience with Adventures in Design and while I'm trying to do it even more with my Disney content. Because I'd never ever use this word. (laughs) I almost slipped up. I never ever use the F word that I despise. No, if you meet me IRL, I swear like a sailor. If you listen to AID, I curse like a sailor. But over here, I realize some of you listen with your kids. So I never curse on my Disney content. And that's also as respect to Walt Disney and his brand that he's created. But the F word that I cannot stand are fans. Fan says to me that you're a fan of what I do, which means you look up to me. You idolize me. Whatever I say, you're going to be into it. You're going to love it. You live to consume whatever it is that artist does. And I hate the word fans. I also hate the word followers. What are you going to follow me wherever I go? If I do something, you're going to do something. If all your friends are jumping off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge? Remember that classic speech from mom and dad? I don't like followers. I don't like fans. I don't like that word. That's why I always use the word friends. Because the people that are with you, the people that carry your content, the people that carry your career and get you where you need to go, that's a friendship. And the more mutual that is, the more everyone is on an equal playing field, the more value is inside of that friendship. So, hey, I know it's a Disney podcast. I know you showed up to hear about Disney stuff and you're gonna get a whole lot of that. But Disney was made by artists. And I am one, been a professional artist my entire adult life, whether it was in the music business or the visual art or design. Like I walked away from a very, very celebrated art career to do this career because I felt like I could make a better impact here. So I'm gonna try to make that impact. Disney is a company that is formed by so many creative minds. And in that creative bubble, there is natural jealousies. The fan community that all wants to be a part of the Disney community, that creates jealousies. And I'm just here telling you that soon as you can get rid of words like fans and followers, as soon as you can realize that you can be a good friend to somebody and it has nothing to do with your success or your failures, as soon as you can get comfortable sitting in that passenger seat, you're going to be able to steal something from the universe. You're going to be able to steal from it what we get so little of more time and another chance to live vicariously through your friend. Jared, I don't know if you ever listened to any of this. I don't know if you hit record and walk away, but for whatever reason you make it here, I want to tell you, bud, I am so proud of what you're doing, what you've done how hard you've worked to get here. And I know how much further you're going to go. And I'm proud of you. And it has been my honor to call you my co-host, to call you my partner in this podcast, but most importantly, to always see your work and to always put a smile on my face and go, it's my friend. My friend made that balloon. My friend made her shirt. My friend made that plate. And pay him a little tribute put something sweet on it because boy does he love the snacks ladies and gentlemen it's my good friend jared maruyama maybe i said his name right maybe i didn't i'll try again the next time i'm always intimidated to say it it's jared he's back talking all about his home line disneyland for designers episode 56 look it's disneyland Jared is back on the show. If you're a Club 1313 member, yesterday you got to hear our bonus content where we just kind of hung out, talk about how he's been keeping it locked down harder than anybody I know during the quarantine times. Also, talking about some Disneyland news that we wanted to get into, what the touch of Disney is going to be like, and when we might actually see Jared set foot back on that sacred holy land. But today, ah. Jared said, Can you do me a favor? Can we release episode 56? On Thursday instead of Wednesday. I said, I don't know why, but I will do anything for love, and I will do that. So, Jared, we're here today <laughs> because, if I'm correct, today is the day that your new home line has officially dropped at Downtown Disney and online as well?
1: I believe so. If everything goes according to schedule, and these days, who knows? <laughs> yes. Uh, it should be available at Wonderground Gallery, uh, Shop Disney, and in the shops in Disney parks. And I believe that includes uh, Orlando, Walt Disney World, all the parks, and uh, their world of Disney as well. Again, that's the plan at this
0: point. <laughs> We've already had to slide this around a couple of times. Right. So let's work backwards. This is sure. This is a huge, huge release. Um, there's been lots of milestones in your career, but we have to say that right out of the gate. This is setting a whole new precedent of where your career can go, correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I I agree. It's a weird time for this to be happening, but I'm just so happy that it's happening.
0: Yeah. So if we go back in time, when exactly were you made aware that Disney was interested in doing a home line with you?
1: So... These things aren't discussed with me from the concept. Uh, They come to me with a concept and they're usually well into that concept. Um, I, I want to say this was over a year ago that we started talking about this. I can't remember exactly when the date was, but it it was well over a year ago and, but they already had uh, product samples, uh, what they were going to do. And, um, uh, I had created some artwork and I knew it was going to be for a wider line. I had no idea
0: just how wide it was going to be. Um, when, so you say, something that was, when you say wide line, like wide as in distribution or the amount of products that they're going to be making? Uh,
1: the amount of products that they were going to be making. Got it. They were looking to do um, something similar to Kingdom of Cute. And this is basically Kingdom of Cute. Um, but they were going to put it on some home goods. Yeah, uh, So they wanted it to be for both parks. Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Um, and so that was about all I knew going into it. And so I kind of gave him something similar to Kingdom of Cute, same kind of flavor, more cutesy characters, and just exactly what I do. And then I didn't hear anything for a very long time. But again, this is not uncommon. This is exactly how production usually goes when you're doing it as a contract artist, not as an employee of Disney.
0: It even goes this way when there is or isn't a pandemic going on. Like That's correct. So many of my friends are working in the art world. Oh, did I tell you that I might be doing this thing for X company? And, you know, then you don't hear anything for six months. And sometimes you don't hear anything ever again. And then sometimes, you know, it goes hot again. And it's always curious to me how imagine that there's people taking meetings, writing emails, looking at price quotes, sourcing goods, all based on you and your artwork. And you're sitting at home going, "Eh, I guess that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The imposter syndrome coming back <laughs> oh, in. Oh yes.
1: Where you're like, oh, you know, you don't hear for a few weeks and you're like, for sure, they hate it. They they just can't stand me. Uh and they hate my childhood and my entire existence. Um so but you know, over the years I've gotten used to it with Disney because you just you, you you're so quickly on to the next project that you're, you don't have much time to sort of worry about. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, whatever happened with that thing? Uh, And then you check in. So yeah, regardless of the pandemic, this is usually how things go as a contract artist. So um, I wasn't worried or stressed about it. I'm like, Hey, you know, if 20% of what we've discussed comes through, I'd be happy with that.
0: I'm going to pause you right there. You weren't more stressed than normal because I know there's a (laughs) certain threshold of stress that you like to maintain on a day-to-day basis. So did the conversation about this start pre-pandemic or? Yes. So it did. Yeah. So when the world started to get wacky, was there ever a part of you go, well, there's a would have been a really nice chapter in my career that probably just got flushed down the toilet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there was a bunch of stuff that was supposed to happen in 2020. uh, Some big things that just did not happen. And that became um, apparent quickly. Uh, once the pandemic stuff started, that I, I don't think this is going to be possible because right. we would have had to have started by now, and you know who knows how long this thing is going to go. Um, but you know that was a slow process with the pandemic in general, where things just started falling off, and like okay, so things one month out are canceled, but how about two months? You right. know everyone was still right. optimistic, like well maybe we'll be okay by then, uh, but then quickly it became clear that these things weren't going to happen. This one was so far out, I thought well this one still has a good chance of happening and it, it is in production. So we'll probably be some version of this will
0: happen, but it could have gone from, you know, Hey, we're going to do an entire like kitchen suite with tons of accessories to mm-hmm. here's four plates and a cup. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it could have gone yes. down that particular path. Now I remember correct me if I'm wrong, but right when the world got kind of weird and we were hanging out and talking and recording, you told me that the first, First thing that was kind of keeping you afloat was publishing, right? Like all the mm. the books and stuff that you do. That was yeah. kind of the thing that right out of the gate, people were like, Well, this is still going to be happening. This is still going to be going. So you were over there focusing on that. When do you learn that this line is going to come back? Um, so it was never I was never told that it was in question or that it's
1: going away. There was some talk, I think, because with um I, I think mainly with China and production of the the products. Oh and, yeah! And oh yeah! Different different things like that. Things were like, well, we're not sure, uh, but that was across the board. That changed pretty quickly. I think that actually came around first because they kind of came out of it a lot sooner well, they than got in we it. did. They got in yeah. it earlier, they
0: got out of it quicker, right? Um,
1: so again, I'm just getting sort of these little updates along the way, uh, nothing nothing major or where we're like, we need to change anything or, you know, like... <laughs> so um, again, it was just sort of like in passing, like, oh yeah, this is happening. Or I saw this, I saw the cup that they're doing and, and it looks great and things like that. So um, it was business as usual for the most part with this thing.
0: So when you say that it's a, a wide line, Do you have a hard count of how many individual pieces exist in this? I think the full line, I want
1: to say it's around 14, 15 pieces. I'm not exactly sure. Wow. Um, So usually for Wonderground, we do like five, right? You got like the art and then maybe magnets and a mug, maybe a shirt or something like that. So this is a big step forward. And then in addition to that, wide meaning it's going to be on Shop Disney. It's going to be in the parks. That kind of thing is uh, huge because Wonderground is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it's one, two stores in the United States, and there's no online version of it. So you got to be here to come get it. So to have it go this wide is very exciting.
0: Yeah, that that is awesome. Like, you know, when you get involved in a project like this, there's a couple of different pressure points that make it more enticing for you. And distribution is one of them. You know, being in both Wondergrounds in the US, like that's an honor. It's such a cool place to be. And as a fan, it's awesome. But as uh, an adult that has bills to pay and and wants to build a career, (laughs) that global distribution and most importantly, being at Shop Disney, right? Like that is the biggest distribution because any random Disney fan, especially during these times that most people aren't traveling or going out to the parks, it gives. Anybody, the opportunity to buy into this line. And then, you know, you know how the conversion rates are. If you sell 10,000 of an item, you would hope that, you know, maybe 25 of those people will become a fan of you. Like, it, yeah, it's exactly. a way how it, it works down. You know, like anybody who's ever got, like, well, I've got 10,000 Instagram followers. All right. Well, good luck getting more than 150 to look at anything. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how all of that grows. So at what point because you gave them some artwork and you saw mm-hmm. some samples, do you get brought back in to make more artwork and really sort of customize these pieces or is that done at a level outside of, of you? So most of that, uh, the the work that I do is so
1: straightforward and the way they're using it in these cases, most of it doesn't require any additional work. Sometimes they'll come to me and say, we need turns or would you like to do turns? Because, you know.
0: You want to explain to people what turns are? That's kind of an so insider's... Uh,
1: right so all my artwork is flat uh, adobe illustrator files and then if they want to see how the character looks from each angle so that someone can take that and sculpt it into a dimensional thing you know they want to see well what is your interpretation of this uh, from the side from profile the back, three yeah. quarters um and it's just giving them a basic idea so a sculptor can go in and say you know this is what it looks like um but again, this is Disney. They have so many people that are very good at doing this and they've done so many versions of these things. They can pretty much get a good sense of what it is. And a lot of this artwork focuses on the parks so they can quickly reference, well, what does a Space Mountain ride vehicle look like? You know, They don't need me to tell them right. that. So it's mostly notes about stylization and like how to simplify it or how to make things softer or things like that. Um, but again, not a lot of that, happens all the time it's just in certain cases that they need it
0: does the line have an actual name to it i mean i know you've done kingdom of cute hipster mickey like what is this being called by disney uh for fans
1: yeah, it's funny i i believe we are calling it kingdom of cute and i'm not sure if the the artwork itself has a different name which it might just to differentiate it from the previous kingdom of cute piece that I had done. Um, but the best part, the best part, the exciting part of this line for me is that it's being marketed as Disney times Jared Mariama or Jared, Disney plus Jared Mariama. And to see that, to see such a wide line going out to these stores and having my name co-branded with Disney, That that is phenomenal for Huge. me. And, and something I never would have dreamed of because it doesn't
0: happen a lot. I'll tell you why that's a win-win for both of you. Obviously, it's a win for you because you now have your name, once again, right next to the largest brand in entertainment. And then that obviously rolls over to consumer goods, consumer products. So you being there for your personal resume, you are a featured, full-on Disney artist that works not for hire, but in collaboration with this brand that, you know. Right everybody is aware of and most people genuinely think positive of. But it's great for Disney. The the other side of the coin is if Disney brands their artists, they're making this more about art, more about collaboration, they're giving you sort of a stock price to their fans, which is good for everybody because you need to make a new batch of stars, right? Like, we're all Mm -hmm. Mark Davis, Rolly Crump. You know, like, you know, we love the heroes that built the park, right? Mary Blair. Like, these are just, like, sacred names to us. But after a while, if they would have just went anonymous artist, anonymous artist, you lose a little bit of that, like, fan culture, right? So Mm -hmm. when we look at a brand that does things like D23, which is all about Fan engagement, letting the fans meet the people that build the uh, you know the magic. If it was just like, hey, see that guy over there with the baseball cap and the glasses on, he made the plates. I don't care, mm-hmm. but the fact that you are went from hipster Mickey by being by your your full name that some people can properly pronounce, it <laughs> creates another person for them to pull out for a signing. It creates another person to be a D twenty three. Like it is in their best interest to raise a crop of stars, obviously for their networks and all their different IP. But Disney is known well for art. So having artists that they vouch for, that they work with, like it is a very smart play on both sides of the coin. And that shows forward thinking because a lot of people, they're just so greedy or grubby or short-sighted that they wouldn't see how it's actually as good of a play for Disney as it is for you.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I hope it's a trend that happens more often. I hope we see more of this because, you know, Disney churns out how many lines of merchandise in a year. It's anonymous. Uh, Yeah. And so to, to sort of differentiate the lines and say, this is the special line because it's this line and it's this artist who's bringing their look and feel to it. um, You know, I think it's, hopefully this is baby steps towards more of that just to differentiate the lines from the thing that came out last year too, because we only need so many mugs and tumblers and and things like that. And granted Disney people are fantastic about collecting. Oh, they need it all. Yeah, exactly. So to, to give it, to give each line a little, Bump would be great. Look, there are so many talented people that are working in the consumer products department that could churn out something that I just done here. Sure, and and I get that. And these people have been doing it for years, and and have not had this sort of like getting their name on the thing. And and I hope we see more of that, where they get to stand in front of this stuff more and say like, this isn't just a T-shirt or a you know a journal or something like that. This is the Joe Blow. T shirt that you want. Um, I, I think that that's a, a great way to kind of continue to do the same kind of
0: merchandise, but give it a little edge. So tell me about this. Am I looking at a pink ice cube tray or is it for cupcakes? <laughs> like, what exactly is this device that I'm looking at? I think they're calling it a baking tray. So you can do ice cubes,
1: I think, but I think you can do like cookies or like little cakes in it. Um, you can do candy or jello. It's just basically a baking mold. Um, and I, I'm not a big baker. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's a million ways you can use this thing, but uh, it just looks so dang adorable. I want someone to make something for me out of those things because I won't. I probably won't do it
0: <laughs> to be able to bake like a little cake or a cookie and have the small world clock face yeah, staring yeah. back at you, or the you know to have like an official like Mickey molded shape, but also then to have that embossment of Mickey on top of that shape. So just not, right. you know, a of just like oh here, a Mickey shape. How original. Right. Like, like you couldn't just make three <laughs> balls on your own and do that. Like that is a very, very like cool thing. So when they pick 14 pieces, at what point do they start telling you like, so we're doing, you know, cups, plates, like when do you actually see what that line order is of all the different units or different pieces? Um, it sort of trickles in as they as they
1: get it and they sort of finalize I mean obviously these things are much bigger than me there's there's groups of people that are doing this and they've got different vendors and stuff like that that they're using and stuff so um you know they they search for these things they're 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 aware of what what are trends what are upcoming trends for the year and then they, they sort of try these things out and, and see like oh well this this vendor was able to do this for this much. And, you know, is this feasible? I, there's all kinds of things that go into it. So I usually see it towards the end when we're getting pretty close to finalizing it and it's going to be um, pretty much a done deal. So um, I think there was a, a few other things that we looked at early on possibly doing, but um, again, it sort of trickles in over time. So uh, th- like there's a big push at the beginning and then it's quiet And then we kind of look at the products, and then it's quiet, and then here we are. So,
0: what I enjoy about looking at the product line, and you know, I've only been able to see little snippets because it's not actually out yet. Uh, But from the promo stuff I've been able to see, there's like an optimism in the air right now. Like, people feel like we're getting closer to. Better pandemic days or post days. Mm-hmm. The weather also is starting to yeah. transition. You get a couple of these warm hits here and there. You know, you know. I know it never truly gets too cold in Southern California, but we do have a season shift, albeit very mild compared to other places. But then I look at this product line and this color palette; it just makes me feel like spring and Easter is around the corner. And even though I'm not like a huge Easter guy. Mm-hmm. I do love the seasons, and I am very attuned to pop culture and consumerism, so there's something about walking into Target. Even though it's cold, when you see nothing but ladies' bathing suits, you're like, yeah, good times are on the horizon. So just like seeing this color palette just makes me feel like we're inching our way towards spring and summer. And right now you just kind of feel like every season is a little bit further away from when we started everything and good times right. are around the corner. So when I saw it, it kind of just gave me like good vibes in my heart. I'm like, Oh yeah, Easter is coming. Like that, that's gotta be a good <laughs> sign, right?
1: Yeah. Everything looks like candy
0: or like Jordan almond colors or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> so with this particular style, the, the kingdom of cute, what I, yeah. what I enjoy about people that have put together their careers in a very sound way is that you can always look at the big project, right? Like this is probably the biggest project as of to date that you've ever had with Disney, correct? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if we backtrack, this came from doing the toy line, right? Kingdom of Cute. Mm-hmm. So you, you did the toy line, but the toy line came from Hipster Mickey, that figure that did well, but then that goes back to the actual art. So I always love looking at, you know, very high level creatives careers and be like, Oh, I understand why Jason Edmonston got hired to do that because there's three steps back that are very obvious that got them there. But what I think is kind of confusing to young people that want to get involved, they just see this houseware line and mm-hmm. they want to start there. And they don't realize that at first it was prints on consignment, right? that, prove that you could sell enough that you knew how to reinterpret their brand you knew how to take mickey mouse it's been a global icon for decades and repackage it in a way that a new audience would love it they felt comfortable enough to turn that into a toy that toy sold uh, well enough that you got asked to do haunted mansion and kingdom of cute like right like every project that's worth its weight creates another stair step up to another bigger and more ambitious project. And that's right. how you get to this moment.
1: That's absolutely right. I, I, this is such a good point though, too, because I think um, I think people often ask the wrong questions and you probably get this all the time, right? Like people want to succeed at doing a certain thing, but they're asking you the wrong
0: questions, you know? <laughs> they're asking how to finish, not how to start.
1: Right, right. And uh, I think that's, that's interesting. That's why it's so important to like, you know, I think through this a lot and like you kind of have to know yourself and what you like and what it is you want to do, regardless of how you've for some reason in your head made up the path that you think is going to take you there. Yeah, that's pointless. Focus on the thing you want to do. Do that thing really well and it'll take you in the areas you want to go. I couldn't have predicted that this is what would happen no I, I couldn't have said okay i'm going to do this so that i end up here it's just not is it where i want to be of course of course it is but i i didn't write this one down and say like this it was much more general than that but you have to do the thing you want to do well sincerely like with passion and like really like what you do you can't just be like oh this seems hot right now i'm going to be that guy yep. you know because that'll go away so I, I that's a very interesting point you bring up
0: well here here's the difference right People get um sort of seduced by the finish line in life, of course, oh, what Jared's doing looks sick, I want that, but where the journey really begins is falling in love, you know mm-hmm. falling in love with podcasting to the point where you're like, I'm willing to give up a very successful career in illustration and design because I'm so much better at this than I ever will be at being an illustrator or a graphic designer like you know falling in love with like you know me falling in love with youtube like i want to do that i've had people try to package me and sell me to networks i'm making a show around me and my abilities and you know for one reason or another that didn't happen because that's a very rough game to get into but once i really fell in love with youtube i'm like i can do this on my own just like i did with music like i did with art like i did with podcasting and so a lot of people really i think they hyper focus on their hero that's wildly successful that has already beat the odds. And the reason why they beat the odds is because they were insanely unique. Yes. And what you have to do is put in 10,000 hours doing it your way. So like I was a little bit late to getting into YouTube, making content, Mm
1: -hmm. but I
0: consumed a lot of it. I thought about what I thought everybody else was doing wrong and how I could make it better and what my personality could build what my interest level could build and with all my life experience, how I could make something that I really, really wanted to make because I really wanted to consume it. And I wish that it already exists so many times in my life, Jared, I've been motivated to do things because I want them to exist and nobody else has done it yet. So I make it for me knowing that everybody else isn't too different than, than what I want.
1: I think the problem too, a lot of the problem is I think people at a certain level, when they're asked to speak and tell their story, they find a need to force a narrative, to, to force a path. When really all we're doing at this point being at a certain level and looking backwards, you forge a path backwards to where you started through all this garbage right. and say, Oh, this is the clear path. And if you just, you know, you know, retrofit this and turn it around and come from the other way, you'll end up where I am. And that's just is not the case. But it makes for a good public speaking engagement. It it sounds good. Here's three steps so that you can be super successful. I don't know that it works, but you've paid 50 bucks to come here and hear me talk. So I'm going to talk with great authority that this will work for you. Um, And it just doesn't happen that way.
0: The perfect example of that is Walt Disney. How his life story has been shortened. The bad parts have been omitted. And we've got this really quick fable on how suitcase in a dream Right. That's all just, Hey guys, go get a suitcase, get a dream and the rest will take care of itself. You can do that once the life is lived and it's over with, Mm -hmm. you know, you can wax poetic about like, Hey, here's Carthay circle and here's sleeping beauty's castle. And this is a timeline of one man's greatness. Like you can do that. You can go back and reverse engineer it after it's over with and tell a beautiful story. But I'm here to tell everybody and you're, you're on board with me. It is cloudy. It is confusing. Mm -hmm. You do not know where you're going and where you start has no indication on where you stop. You are literally going through every day feeling like you can only get three things done, even though there's 30 things that you want to do, and you just get gravitated and pulled towards, well, this is what makes sense now or what I want to do right now, and I just hope that I'm guessing right. That's how I've lived way too many years as a creative. (laughs)
1: That's it. It's, I mean, look, I can trace things back to like, OK, this little fat kid who's sitting inside drawing all day and avoiding sports like, yes, this is where <laughs> this is where that ended up, you know, right. but it wasn't like that kid knew at all what no. he was going to do or that this things would exist in this time. And so there is no clear path. Obviously, there is no clear path. And it would be so insincere for me to say, like, I knew all along this is where I was heading. Um, so. Uh, I'm very excited about what's happening and, and and the things that I've been able to accomplish. But again, my that's my path. That's not your path. That's not anyone else's path. Uh, all the ingredients are there. Every failure, every like, yeah, <laughs> setback, it all adds up to where you're at. And you can't plan it. You're not going to plan to have my same failures. So you can't plan to have a similar success. You have to have
0: your own thing. Well, let's look at this. We've documented this before in all the conversations that we've recorded over the years. September 11th doesn't happen. You probably don't become a commercial artist. That's right. right. Pandemic doesn't happen. I probably don't finally fully commit and double down to doing Disney content as more of a full-time job. You know what I mean? Like Right. Yeah, exactly. There are moments outside sources that you can't control that as a creative individual, you're just always set on problem solving. And there's a survivor's mechanism in there too, right? Like That's right. That's right. Beth and I have talked about this a lot. So many people are like, I've been so bored in this pandemic. I'm like, (laughs) I've I've never worked more in my life. I feel like a coal miner. Yeah. I mean, again, not that there's any right or wrong way. You just have to
1: know yourself. Yes. If if that's what you need, then that's what you need. I'm not saying do it my way or or anybody's way. You've got to find if you're so uninspired that you need to take that break, then by all means, do it Um, because it's not going to just magically happen um, and you can't force it. You just can't, I don't know. It's like for me. And again, success is a, is a weird thing to define and it can go away at any time. And, and I don't feel like, Oh, I've arrived at all. You no, don't even I'm still I know forcing. for a fact
0: you don't feel successful.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you're still always climbing and the next thing and like, okay, this is great, but what about the next thing? And um, you just can't linger on that. And I think, you know, that's a sort of a work ethic thing that, plays into absolutely everything. But that's just kind of how I am. I didn't learn to be this way. It's just kind of how I am. So you just kind of have to know your own self and what you can do and what you really want to do and um, just listen to that and not listen to all the other noise that's kind of coming at you.
0: Do you think a lot of your hard work ethic and your sort of personal dissatisfaction, even though there is a part of your brain that knows that you are very successful and you have gone very far in your career, there's also a part of you that's imposter syndrome. Do you think that is... A lot to do with cultural upbringings for you.
1: Um, I don't know if it's cultural. I think it is about how my parents brought me up. They were they. Uh, everybody kind of talks crap about their parents on the other side, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they were never impressed by stuff. You know, now that we're adults, it's a little different. They they kind of know you know, to say things more than they did when we were little. But there wasn't a lot of like, you're amazing, you know, like what you're doing is amazing and you're the greatest kid in the world. There wasn't a lot of that. And so you, it wasn't that you overachieved. It's just that you didn't look for that all the time. You weren't looking for that approval. It was all in your head and what you felt good about. Um, and and maybe the the only Asian part, I think, is that they're, they're kind of always there to say, don't get a big head. Yeah. Don't, don't get crazy. Like, yes, this is good, but there are other people that are doing good things too. And, you know, like, so it's kind of that grounding. I think that, that, um, that has really helped me because I never feel like, I, I never feel like, Oh my gosh, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm happy in the moment. And I'm like, Oh, look at this plate. And this is amazing that they did this. And I'm grateful to all these other people that are involved And things like that. And you enjoy that moment. I I definitely enjoy my moments, but I never look at it as like a
0: cumulative, and now I'm here. (laughs) I grew up um, really close to a family where their dad was from the Philippines. Mm. And he came to the U.S. to pursue a gnarly surgery career. He ended up becoming a uh, neurosurgeon, which is like sort of a ultra, like high-level professional, right, in the medical industry. Sure. And uh, his kids always felt so torn and in a really devastating way because he was from a place where, you know, hard work is expected. Like, yep. I'm not going to praise you for cleaning your room. You're lucky that you have a room. That's I bought right. you all this stuff. Take care of it, you idiots. And it really drove them nuts because they were raised on American TV and they saw these parents are like, hey, sport, I see you didn't do so well on your test grade. And you know, it ain't about grades right it's it's about trying hard and so they sort of felt this big disconnect between the world that they were seeing and the world that they were living in Mm -hmm. and i really hit it off well with uh this family because my old man was very similar you know it was never Mm -hmm. like i'm so proud of what you did it was more pointed out what i didn't do Uh and it's um it was a painful childhood But it makes for a very rugged professional because even though I have people commenting all day like, oh, this episode or this or that, like I read that and I try to look at that and go, "Okay, what they're really telling me is make more like this. But I Mm -hmm. never believe the hype. They're like, oh, you're so great. Like there's a really weird way when you're raised with like a bit of pressure where you hear half the comment. But then the other half, you turn it into a checklist of like, well, yeah. got to do more work like that. You know, it's a very bizarre sort of defense mechanism, maybe.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just it. I find that it fuels me, though, right? Yes. Like, that's why I don't get bored, because it's not like, oh, I did that. No, I'm, I'm still working at that, trying to get better at what I do. I am I am grateful that I am able to make a living doing what I oh, yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, for sure, there's that. But um. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a It's a slippery slope. And I find that whenever I do feel too confident about something, I trip. So I'm like, I always try to keep it in check, right? The moment you're like, oh, good for you. (laughs) Something happens to remind you like, yeah, not so fast. Yeah. The
0: moment you're like, I'm going to do this type of work for the rest of my life is normally the the moment where that type of work falls apart. And you're like, well. Yeah. Like what's going to happen? We're going to have a pandemic and Disneyland's going (laughs) to close for a year? I don't think so. Disneyland's going to be open forever. It's only ever been closed three days. What could happen? (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) So with this particular line, if people, you know, most of our audience listens, lives in Southern California, so they can go to Wonderground and it's also in the home store. Will it be in World of Disney as well?
1: I be- The plan is, I believe, that it will be in World of Disney. Um, but again, I'm not exactly Subject sure. Again, this is all information that's just given to me. I, I'm i not part of the planning of any of this. So, And it could be that not all the pieces are there at the same time or, or available at the same time. So you just really have to check. But um, yeah, it, it definitely should be on the website by now.
0: And if somebody really wanted to like get the entire suite for their home, Shop Disney would be the best place to go, right? Um. Actually, I think the parks, Disney parks
1: here in America, are the best place to go. I think. Really? Uh, yeah. Walt Disney World or Disneyland will have the complete line, because those other things are are run sort of separately. It's just a matter of like a supply chain. Like Got it. Making sure they have these things on time. I think they will eventually have everything, um, but it might be like you see a mug here and you don't see it online, or or
0: vice versa. It's kind of a interesting quest that if you wanted to build the whole set, like well, I got this at the parks, but then I had to get this piece that they sold out of over on the website. Yeah. Like almost like a, I like the type of shopping that makes shopping fun. Like if you can just mm-hmm. go to one store and buy everything, there is a reward to that, but there's also sort of a feeling of like, man, I'm like two pieces away from having the whole set. Now shopping becomes uh, you know, sport, right? Like it becomes yeah. like something you're actively doing. Um, Is there a part of you that is, Obviously a bit depressed that due to these times in your own personal way that you're reacting these times that you can't go to the store and see it yourself or go do a signing. Like, do you feel a little bit removed because you've been so actively involved in all of your releases in the past? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I would love to have
1: done a signing in support of this or something because um, it is a big, it is a big thing. And then in the same respect, I feel like there might not have been a better time for this to come out because I'm not competing with absolutely everything else that could be happening if the parks were running on their own. People seem to still be buying during this time, which is fantastic. And um, like I said, anytime there's a little newness coming out with the Disney thing, it gets a lot of attention. So you know it is what it is, and you just kind of um go with it. I'm just glad that it is coming out and I just really hope people like it and i I probably will escape my little nest here and go to downtown Disney at some point
0: and uh take some pictures because <laughs> let me just it's tell you to see it out there yeah let me just tell you you ever heard that phrase we use down in the south them's fighting words yeah <laughs> if I open up my mobile device. And I just so happen to see you in downtown Disney without me. It's over. It's done. Are you
1: kidding? I'm going to, you're going to be my like guide through this because I have no idea. Best day to go, best time. Like I see those lines snaking through the parking lot. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I've never done that once. Yeah.
0: I'm like, can they just bring me in the back or something? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, be a dummy like me and screen print in the store and they'll let you drive your car underneath downtown Disney. So is Orange Bird. Not one of the most perfect animated characters (laughs) ever. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he does. But I know that Orange Bird is like a perfect character.
1: I love Orange Bird. I've loved Orange Bird since I found out about Orange Bird years ago. And it was a little more obscure a few years ago. But he has gone full mainstream. And and it's definitely more of a Florida thing than here. Like Figment. Um, It's definitely uh a disney world thing but he seems to have crossed the line now and he's kind of everywhere perfect great design great concept around the original um the way they used him in the original campaigns and stuff like that and i just i love these smaller more obscure characters in the disney stuff not necessarily from the films but he lives in this weird theme park specific uh landscape and i love that
0: The thing I like about Orange Bird, what I think is so appealing about it is that big round head, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like a perfect shape that you're very used to. And I think that's what makes the head of the character almost feel more like a sticker or a logo, right? Like, yeah. It feels more like branding than like cartoon character. And I think it's because that big, perfect circular head is what we're accustomed to as a container for information. This time, the information just happens to be a happy little friend.
1: Yeah, I, I that's exactly what he is, right? He is a he's a mascot, um, and he looks great flat. Uh, it gets a little harder when you're doing him in dimension, changes the, the you know, whatever you do a perfect sphere, oh, yeah. things start getting weird when you start dipping down towards the bottom and things like that. But I will say, he's a very hard character to draw. You wouldn't think so because there's so many basic elements, but I challenge people out there, go ahead and just try to draw a quick little orange bird. You won't get that beak right. I just know you won't get that beak right.
0: <laughs> well, I found that the more sort of basic a character is, yeah, the harder it is to nail it because everything has to be exact. Like, for example, yeah. if you get a little weird with Mickey Mouse, yep. it looks weird really, really fast. But if I were to show you He Man, you'd be like, ah, it looks like He Man. Yeah, close enough. Close yeah. enough.
1: and Mickey, there's so many versions of Mickey. I know. Um, and the the, the specific artist, the way that they drew him, like if there's an extra like. Uh, line on the nose where the nose comes or um, just how the eyes are drawn. And I don't mean like the specific ones now where we have a very stylized, like runaway train Mickey, uh, you know, that's a very specific look, uh, but just doing a traditional Mickey really hard and everybody kind of draws him. Right.
0: <laughs> Is there a name, you know, the style of those Mickey shorts and then they mm-hmm. took that and that's what they modeled uh runaway train. Is there a name for the characters in that style? Cause I, I don't ever really know what to call that, like, new wave version of them. I haven't heard – I mean, there must be something uh, behind the
1: scenes, but I haven't heard anything referred to in any official capacity that that's – everyone just says, like, the new shorts. Um, yeah, that's what so. I've always
0: kind of heard it referred to. I'm like, there's got to be, like, a, a better name for that, like, 2000s Mickey or, you know, like, Millennial Mickey. Like, there's got to be some sort of quicker right. – you know internally that there's something – that they, right. they throw in emails so as like a three-word abbreviation. You're like, oh, M-M-M-Y. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, that we know that one. Uh, right. Do you prefer over the years of Mickey, you know, not like mm. per- perfect Mickey now, but over the years, do you have a favorite era? Because I always seem to be really drawn to any sort of pie-eyed Mickey. Like Mickey on the fun wheel to me is probably the perfect Mickey Mouse portrait. Um, I think
1: I like Mickey at the very end of that pie. I think so. It's not when the little wedge is cut out. Uh, it's just when it's. Um, I think. Um, actually, brave little Taylor. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my favorite Mickey design. I think. I think they got proportions really nice in that, and he looks really cute. I think that's the cutest version of
0: him. Disneyland <laughs> but, um, in like the late 60s, early 70s, they used a very like chubby version yeah. of Mickey Mouse where he doesn't have the pointy chin. It's like, it's like a more like almost like a Fred Flintstone version of Mickey. (laughs) And, uh, it's so bizarrely off from what we're used to. It makes me kind of really enjoy it because yeah, I started to think over on Instagram and I took a little break and now I'm going to keep adding to it. But you know, stories over on Instagram will let you put 100 images, um, in one of those little circles up on your account. Right. Uh huh. Right. 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 And so I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do one called a hundred Mickey's. And so I got the first 25 or 40 in there and I got a lot of the other ones pulled and I'm going to start adding more in there, but I wanted to create something where you could go over to Disneyland for designer stories and you could literally just let it play through and just see a hundred different interpretations of this thing that your mind, as long as your mind can see like 40% of it, yep, it'll the other 60% gets equated into, Oh, that's Mickey mouse. Even yep. though over the years, the consistency has been all over the board. Yeah,
1: for sure. And, and like we said, there are some really wild takes on it. There, there was something in the sixties, I think where they did that car commercial where he looks very angular and, mm-hmm. and very different. It's, it's appealing, but it doesn't look quite like Mickey, but even within the, the years that it's pretty like the sixties and stuff like that, there's a very different design than the, the previous decade. And, uh, it's fascinating. Um, I love it. I love looking through, like even the golden books, Mickey is a little different,
0: a little more like kind of chubby and friendlier, like, mm -hmm. like a little, just like a, like a, it's weird to say, but a touch more animated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Something in his snout too, like the way it turns up. and How
0: close the nose is. The nose is like a little bit more bulbous, you know what I mean? Like almost more like a black olive than like a, Mm -hmm. than a ball. Uh, It's so interesting though, to see the evolution of it. When you did hipster Mickey, Mm. Did you get any original like to get it to that like form, did you get any pushback like, oh, we need you to do this or do that, or was it pretty much approved out of the gate?
1: The first one was approved out of the gate. The second one is when they kind of started taking second or third one, where they started taking interest in like, here's what we have to maintain from this. Mm. Like um so it wasn't so much style, it was like he shouldn't be smiling, his eyes shouldn't be open. Mm.
0: And like let's maintain this aloof. So Look. essentially, they started creating a style guide for your version of Mickey and how not necessarily the art, but the essence of Mickey and how he should be presented like emotionally in those pieces.
1: Right. And some people might not like that approach. I, I love that. loved it. I loved that. <laughs> I felt like, oh, I'm getting so immersed in the Disney thing and they're sort of taking you know, they didn't take it away from over ownership taking ownership, of it. ownership. Yeah. Of it. yeah and they're, they're showing that we have this interest in it and it's a bigger thing. And I was thrilled that they were taking such a, like, we had to have a conference call about what the things, you know, that's great with these different teams to sort of stabilize what this look would be going forward. It was very exciting to be like, I think that's the difference between uh kind of specifically what I do and people who also do what i do not just saying it's a thing i do specifically but to be like oh this is a bigger thing right like it's a it's a product and so it does require this kind of um attention and yeah that nuance things yeah, yeah yeah and not just like oh i don't know that's his thing whatever do whatever you. Do. <laughs> like, yeah so i
0: enjoyed the process quite a bit i got such little feedback when i was working with disney mm-hmm. that i'm like is this actually going to get released? Or are they just like, what's that little uh, slow boy doing in Long Beach? Like, is he, did he did he draw any more buildings today? Like, I was just like, <laughs> like, this is the biggest client I've ever worked with. And they're like, yeah, it looks great. I'm like, did you? It's yeah. almost like I wanted them to like fight back so I could tell that right. they cared, you know? And it I mean, so
1: Hipster Mickey was the only one of mine that really got that kind of scrutiny, which was, but this was, I think because it was early on too with Wonderground and they wanted to sort of run with it. But um, but they also saw everything that it was- else is Pretty much like you said, like they're like, yeah,
0: great. But they also probably <laughs> saw that it was gaining traction and it was becoming mm-hmm. a, another version of Mickey. And obviously, you know, there's a reason why he doesn't have a feature film. There's a reason why it took this level of technology to finally give him his own attraction after yeah. Disneyland being around over 65 years. So that to me would be the best notes you could ever get back from a client when they're trying to protect like the integrity of the character's disposition through your rendering of his artwork. Like to me, that's a legendary email.
1: Yeah. I mean, Wonderground has been fantastic. Sure. I, can't, I have no complaints about Wonderground up to this point. Uh, working with them has been great. They were very protective of it from the beginning. and uh, you know, Because the minute that thing kind of started taking off, I, I, a lot of different groups wanted to use it. And again, out of my hands, if Wonderground wanted to, they could have said, yeah, do whatever you want. Um, but they were very protective of it and, and, and kept it close. And I'm always grateful,
0: grateful for that. So out of the product line, Do you have a piece that you're most proud of? And I mean, I know to never ask an artist, like, what's your favorite thing you ever drew? But I know that it's a different question when you're like, there's something about holding the spatula. You know what I mean? Like when you're doing a product line, it's very different because it's your art interpreted into something that somehow feels so much more real because of production. So is there a piece that when you finally got to see a photograph of it or hold it in your hand, you're like, huh? I, I feel very attached to this one. I never knew that I'd get the design X. Right. Um, I think overall, the main thing
1: for me is that it's on the series of goods that it's on, that it's on this sort of very um, practical set of merchandise and things like that. And I, to me, I love that. And it's something because I like merchandise and I like... Um, you know, all of that stuff around it more so than just the artwork. The artwork is sort of pristine. It's its own thing. And you're very grateful that people like that, but it doesn't incorporate itself into people's lives the way some of these things can. Right. And to me, I, that to me is sort of next level, not the other way around for that. And I'm sure that's different for everybody, but the fact that this can reach a wider audience, that people can have a little bit of this art on their desk in their cupboards you know using it as a mug as a travel mug whatever that may be i i'm thrilled with that part of it and i want to do definitely more with that and and not just say like design the perfect whatever spatula but if you can bring some interesting aspect to that i'm all for that and i hope that's something that i can do more of because i think we're all running out of wall space i yes. can collect prints at this point just to collect them not to hang them up on the wall and um i'm I'm wanting to see more variety and how some of these artists can bring their unique visions to other things and it can be in my life in a pen or something that sits on my desk uh that's why i think i like toys so much too artist toys yeah it's more part of you than just being on the wall in another room that you don't go into
0: uh posters like you know flat prints such a great affordable way to earn your chops, right. To, mm-hmm. to get to where you need to be. But there's a whole other appreciation for inanimate objects that you can yeah. pick up and hold. And it has a weight to it. And it's also like, it's just fun to see your artwork applied to something that you've experienced a thousand times. Like you've held mugs your whole life. Mm-hmm. Then to see your artwork around a mug, it just suddenly makes it feel more real than a flat piece of paper that looks a lot like, the art board inside of illustrator, right? The, right, that you're right, used right. to, uh, the mug or I'm sorry, the, the, um, coasters for this line are really interesting because you get a pack of coasters where it's not the exact same die cut. It's not the exact same color scheme. They're like yeah. little animated vignettes that are all very different from each other. And when, you know, you say, Oh, I got to design coasters. You think of that, Paper coaster that you would get from like you know right. ogas or or you know club 33 <laughs> or whatever like, Oh, check it out it's a paper but these being sort of die cut and not overly die cut like just right. enough breaking the plane to mm-hmm. make them fun and as an artist like breaking the plane is just something that makes things feel more exciting but you definitely don't want to break that rule too many times because then <laughs> things get overly complicated right 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 right.
1: yeah no they've done a nice job and that's why i like it because this is what these people do you know like yes um, they're not artists always um and so they just know how to take this art and turn it into very appealing merchandise and what will work and they know the trends like i said and like what will sell and what their audience is looking for and i love that because i'm like yeah that's your thing do your thing i'm not going to come in and be like uh this is what i want because I I for some reason think I know better. No, I'm like, I want the best people working on it and and doing uh, what they do well. So uh, it's exciting. That's why I do like the part where I don't see everything until it's kind of more finalized and I can just like take that part in. You know, that's, that's like Christmas for
0: me. I do love when you put details into design and like, not only is your version of the Mickey ears, not realistic. Like it's, Mm. it's not the, proper proportions as if you go and buy a set at the park so that already puts it into the world of the abstract and the cute but then when you have your version of the patch right that (laughs) makes it like an official set of mickey ears and then that is also in your world It's that kind of like art inside of the art that makes something like kingdom of cute feel like its own universe well thank you for noticing that yeah i i think it's it's one of those uniquely
1: Disney things where everything's semi-meta, right? Like yep. everything's sort of referring back to itself uh, in different ways. And I just love playing in that space uh, in between there not being like, oh, well, it has to be so literal or like everything has to match this or it has to adapt, you know, look exactly like it did in the film and stuff like that. To be able to play like this with all these
0: different elements, it's so much fun. I do enjoy how friendly your little dead uh, pirate skeleton is. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that guy looks like he loves being dead. Like he's ah. Oh, let me tell you guys, death, it's, it's great. It's really, me, that's, it's
1: that's the best part of what I do is when I can do something like that in contrast to cute with what the original looks like, that is so much more fun than trying to cutify something that's already cute.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, there in the, the package suite, there's a coaster of, I guess the little Dutch boy from mm-hmm. small world. And because we're used to that being in that way, that one's like, Oh, right. But then you see the happy little pirate skeleton with his uh, bandana sort of breaking the plane and the the brim of his, uh, you know, pirate's hat, like sort of breaking that circle. It's just for whatever reason, it's just so much more fun because it's a negative narrative being brushed up and happy like, Mm oh, I want to be dead one day. That looks so fun.
1: Right, exactly. And that's always the kid. Like, that's why with Small World and Mary Blair stuff, it's like... You're sort of riffing on her style. Yeah. Because it did exist as flat art and we're all very familiar with that art. Um, so it's when you get to go to something that's only been really seen dimensionally and, and sort of soften the edges and Fisher price it up. Oh, then It yeah. becomes really great fun. Great reference. Great reference.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the popcorn cart, like that is just the type of thing where we all know popcorn. We've all seen popcorn vendors our whole life. But a Disney fan knows the difference of a Disney popcorn cart, right? Like it's <laughs> right, right, right. It's like uh Victorian, you know, turn of the century, that century, not ours. Uh there's just sort of a level of like detailing to it where it looks almost more like a train than an actual mm-hmm. food vending cart, right? And right. there's something about it where like that belongs on Main Street USA, even though it could be willed anywhere else. That's where it belongs. So I really love the details on that one. And then what I enjoy too is, you know, you have to do this thing where you create flourishes, little dots, little stars to kind of fill up the spaces because Mm -hmm. the artwork is simple. You need something to sort of like complex or fill out flush out the canvas that you're on and i love that you always throw once again another park icon the mickey shaped balloon which is (laughs) no doubt when i saw my first mickey balloon pulled into free dca i got a lump in the back of my throat because i hadn't seen one in so long you know
1: yeah, it's great. It's a it's a very distinct shape, too. It's not just a Mickey head, because it's a balloon, it's it presents a very some different shape. Yeah, like you really it's not three circles. It's um, some very strange shapes and the way they connect and everything like that. So it is a very specific Disney thing. And yeah, I I do love doing those details too.
0: Who requested putting and forgive me for not knowing his name, but who requests that the Alice rabbit gets thrown into the mix. Cause to me, it's sort of out of all the characters that you would pull out of the park that, I mean the teacup, everybody loves the teacup, but, um, that rabbit, I think his name's Jeff. It seems like an interesting <laughs> pool. Uh,
1: you know, I don't know. I love the white rabbit and it's one, I think we don't see a whole lot of, um, and it just seemed a little too on the nose to put mad Hatter in there. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to bring in some different characters that I hadn't done before a lot. And, uh, yeah, it just ended up it just ended up being in there and I'm glad that uh yeah, they never have comments on that kind of stuff. They never tell me like use this character unless there's some kind of legal thing. Um they don't tell me like which characters to use or anything like that. So I was glad I was able to get him in there. And again, I think I did Cheshire Cat and other things too, so I wanted to mix it up a little.
0: Is who says who uh, you caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. Dude. I do. Yeah, he's great <laughs> I love that so much. Hey, one of the perks for Club 1313 mm-hmm. is that um, for certain folks, we get together once a month and watch a movie together, and they get to pick which movie I watch. So, you're doing this live with everyone, huh? I'm doing this. So, guess what? I get to watch tonight that I have somehow never seen before in my life.
1: I think that's a lot of Disney movies. I couldn't possibly narrow it down.
0: This one is a story about a cartoon that wants to become a boy. And that cartoon's name is Roger Rabbit.
1: Oh, no, oh wow. You've never watched Roger Rabbit? <laughs> Not one minute of it. I think you'll really like it. It's a, an amazing film. Again, it's one that I, that's why I do what I do. Roger Rabbit and Little Mermaid made me want to do this
0: and it's been requested that before the movie starts i have to explain to everybody what it is that i think that i'm getting ready to see
1: it's fantastic i think you'll this is a good one because it's really not a disney movie
0: yeah yeah you'll find that out very quickly i'm always um, shocked that it's still alive and it's still a part of things right like kind of yeah (laughs) i mean you don't see the sculpted character walk around the park but i mean it has an attraction like out of all the yeah. property, like, you know, there's not a beauty and the beast or Aladdin uh, attraction at Disneyland, but there's somehow one for Roger Rabbit. Like to me, that's always been fascinating that that somehow that one got promoted to its own standalone attraction.
1: Well, it was huge. I mean, it, it, I think it really did save Disney animation, even though it was a, an Amblin co-production um, they, it renewed an interest and a love and made it adult in a way that it wasn't before. Um, and it's it's great. Like I think it's just, it is a little difficult to to lift it out of the time period that it came out in. Right. I, I think it'll always be sort of tied to that. And I think it was like eighty six or eighty seven that it came out. Um, maybe later eighty eight. I can't remember. But right around there, when Disney Animation was just not doing well at all. So um, yeah, very pivotal film. But I think you'll I think you'll like it just from the technical feat alone. It's amazing.
0: I always find it just like I don't know how. I made it to this age and eluded so many huge Disney properties. Like, I don't know where I was at or what I was doing with my life when I just never stopped to find the time for these things. But it was kind of like, you know, I saw Pinocchio and uh, Bambi and Dumbo and Snow White. And I think that somewhere in my little young brain, they were actually randomly, I saw song of the South at a movie theater, like mm. <laughs> goes to show where I was raised, but it, there's something about me where those movies are so like emotionally heavy mm. that I think that I just kind of said subconsciously like, no nah, dog, I'm good. And I just kind of yeah. dipped out, you know what I mean? Like I didn't need that kind of pain. Cause I remember all of those really, really hurting me. And to a large degree, I kind of blame Disney animation for my, um, my burden of if I'm driving down the highway and I see a stray dog on the side of the road, Yeah, I have got to stop and save that dog. And if I can't save that dog, it is literally one thing that I will think about for the next 120 days. Yeah, and it's exactly. all because these damn cartoons made me think that they're little people that are on this quest to like, Get to something important. Yeah, get to their family. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, there's something about it that is so pain to me. And sort of final question as we wrap up today, because I know I have an answer. Okay. I love Orange Bird, but I don't have a total connection to him. Right, right. If you had to pick one Disney animated character that you think is perfectly illustrated, which one would you pull off the top of your head? Perfectly illustrated. Yes. Uh, I, do you want me to tell you mine first? Sure. Yeah. Let's see where you're taking this. I have looked at this character form a thousand times. If you tell me, make a cartoon animal. This is the one that I see in my mind. I think that Thumper is possibly oh. the most perfectly crafted animated character.
1: Really love the what? line
0: work so much on it. Oh, it's no question. It's a beautiful. It's a
1: beautiful thing. Um, that whole movie is way more gorgeous than it has to be yeah um and sort of underrated but it is heavy and and um maybe a little boring for the really young i think um but uh interesting i would not have picked thumper that's that's a that's a that's a good one the the Um, shape
0: of the eyes the way that the nose and the bridge of like the the sort of this you know the the not just the physical nose but that that mound of flesh that is in there the way that the legs are like the curvature of the back. Like I just find it to be like a perfectly illustrated character.
1: Yeah. Again, it's a hard character to draw. There's a lot going on in that muzzle and the placement of the eyes and the the roundness of the head. Yes. Uh, And how those cheeks wrap around.
0: But the (laughs) eye, like to me in there, in that, that head specifically, that's where the perfection lies because it's somehow like the perfect balance and whether yeah, it's it is whether it's done officially by Disney or reinterpreted by like, you know, pop culture artists, there's something about that form that I think is just like as close to perfect as you get. And it is specifically Little Thumper. When they get into that teenage area and they're all ugly, the I, I don't like that
1: very much. They yeah. have their voices changed.
0: Thumper and become... matured like me. Cute kid, horrendous <laughs> adult.
1: Yeah. Let's see. Uh probably if I was really pick one, I'd say Pinocchio. Uh, Pinocchio is one of my favorite characters. Uh it's not one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of their best He's movies, just a boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um his design, really good, really tight, a lot of different elements to go into an animated character. You're like, why did you put so much clothes on that thing if you were gonna animate this thing? Like, you got a vest and a shirt and a collar and a Yeah, bow-tie. what weather
0: is he dressed for?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So he works perfectly as a puppet and, you know, I prefer him as a puppet. I don't like when he turns into a real boy. I don't like the look of that kid. Uh, I love I love that puppet version.
0: The puppet version with like the small nubby nose is Mm -hmm. to me like the perfect Pinocchio. And you're right. When he becomes a boy and it sort of loses that like geometric shape that was forced in there to make it look like he was carved out of the wood. um, Right. Right. Yeah. That is, That is a really, really good one. I also, I like Donkey Pinocchio too.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Donkey Pinocchio is fantastic. Because Uh, there's still
0: a lot of Pinocchio in that donkey form.
1: Yeah. But with the tail and the ears, it's great. It's a good movie. I do love the movie more as an adult than I did as a kid. Um, Very dark movie. Very scary. I'm I'm curious to see what they do with the live action. So we'll we'll see what happens.
0: I love how that carnival is illustrated. Oh, yeah. Crazy. It's just crazy. It's gnarly, man. Uh, so gnarly.
1: Pleasure Island. Good old Pleasure Island. Yeah.
0: Jared has a new product line that is available at Disney Parks or online. There are several pieces. Give it a look over. Try to find a couple pieces that are just right for you because of when we had to record this and because of release dates and everything, uh, I will be trying to put a video up over on my YouTube channel as quickly as I can going into the store and showcasing you all the pieces and also doing it. So my good buddy, Jared has an idea of what it looks like in its natural habitat of in these (laughs) stores that we love so much. Hey, Jared, thank you so much for sharing this journey with us and kind of pulling back the curtain and giving an honest look at, you know, I can say this for you, even if you don't feel it or even if you don't see it, you are super successful at being an illustrator, uh, at being a a character designer and now being a product designer. And so I always appreciate that we hang out as friends, let that facade down and really give people like an honest look inside of the mind eye of a creative that's like. I love what I'm doing. I know I have a level of success, but I'm not going to take this too serious because I don't want to break my hot streak that I'm on.
1: <laughs> right. Well, thank you for, for taking this time to talk about it. I appreciate and bumping around the schedule and stuff. I know that we do this on a sort of irregular basis, but thank you for letting us talk about it for a show. I'm very excited about it. I'm I'm happy that it's out in the world. I hope people like it. Hope you pick up the things that you can that if you do like them or buy them as a gift and impose it on somebody else, which I intend to do. This is what you're getting for Christmas this year, Bricky. So pick out something nice. Uh, But thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this.
0: No, it's my honor, man. It's like one of the things I love about this job and meeting so many awesome people is that in a weird way, it's like, I didn't do this, but celebrating it with you gives me that feeling of like, man, what a rad thing to be a part of, you know? And it's like, I get a contact buzz on sharing success with people that I love and admire and enjoy their work. Like you get sort of a real fun contact buzz being next to it. And I kind of related to this. I know lots of guys that never got to be the guitar player for that band, but they tuned that guitar. They strung that guitar. They stood behind that guitar cabinet waiting to hand that guitar. And there's such a rush on being that close to the music. And uh, I really have come to enjoy that from this position in my life.
1: Oh well thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm just excited to be in this world that you've created and continue to expand. So so thank you for inviting me into yeah, that. I
0: appreciate it. You're part of the Bricky Multiverse. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> hey friends, if you enjoyed today's conversation, two things I'd like to tell you. One, there's a whole lot more of it. There's another hour of Jared and I hanging out and talking. And the second thing I'd like to tell you is that hour is made possible and the free hours made possible by my friends, not fans, not followers, by my friends over in club1313.com. That's right, that is my online community that I put together, but oh, I'm just a small part of it because the online community is real. Uh, It is full of so many passionate, creative Disney fans. Hmm, Disney fans. I think that is a moment where you can use the word fan. Because it's not for a person, it's for a brand slash ideology. I think that's where it actually works. I would consider myself to be a Disney fan, and in fact, I hate my fandom because it ruins my life, like it did today, waiting hours to buy Touch of Disney tickets. I will be there the first Thursday of the first five weeks, so for five weeks in a row on Thursday, you'll be able to catch me going live over on YouTube at my YouTube channel, which is called Adventures in Design. But I'd like to tell you that if you want to become a member of Club 1313, if you want to hang out with the rad community and why we were all going through the emotional roller coaster, which was buying our Touch of Disney tickets, the important thing is we did it together. And just like when you went to ride Rise of the Resistance on opening day a year and a month and a half ago, you went there with a couple of people that you knew, but you ended up leaving feeling like you'd hung out with the Disney community. And that's what we're building And a byproduct of that is it helps fund all of the Disney content that I make for you, which is a podcast every single week, and YouTube videos most Mondays through Fridays. So if you'd like to hear part two of today's conversation, if you'd like to see this content keep going, and if you'd like to hang out with rad people in an amazing, positive, fun Disney community, I kicked one person out. I just said, you're not a good fit here, because they weren't. And that's the way I'll run the ship. No toxic. Folks, no Venom, no trolls, just people that love it the way that we do. Club1313.com, you can hear the second part of today's episode. And don't forget, you can pick up Jared's home line anywhere, anywhere where you buy Disney products. Thank you so much, Jared, for being on the show. Super proud of you. Part two is available now for members of Club1313.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday, unless I see you again real soon over on YouTube or maybe walking around inside the park.